If you're someone who likes to travel, you might be interested in a podcast called Out Travel the System. Out Travel the System is one of our sponsors for this episode. Their show is brought to you by Expedia, and its mission is to inspire and inform about travel. That can mean anything from building your bucket list to taking concrete steps to take that next trip when the time is right. The podcast finds people who are passionate about travel, including a commercial airline pilot, a woman who travels pretty much year-round, and a man who wants to have visited every country in the world by the end of this year. When it comes to inspiration, Out Travel the System is also giving a voice to people who love their hometowns and want to share them with travelers, or people who love, say, lake or beach life in the winter. Out Travel the System is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. Before we get started, I have an exciting announcement. Starting in a few weeks, you will be able to earn rewards simply for sharing out there with your friends. I'll have more details on how everything works later, but basically, when you share a special link to tell people about the show, you'll instantly start earning all sorts of fun rewards. You may have heard me say on previous episodes that word of mouth is one of the best ways for people to learn about new podcasts. So this is a chance to build on that. And we want to invite you, our loyal listening community, to be a part of it. Our goal is to make it fun and worthwhile for you to spread the word about out there. Because we love you. As I said, I'll have more info about this on our next episode. But for now, go ahead and click the link in the show notes to sign up for our email list. That way, you'll be the first to hear updates and you won't miss out on the fun. One other announcement, as I mentioned on our last episode, we have started putting transcripts on our website. If you'd like to follow along as you listen, just go to outtherepodcast.com and click on this episode. And now, on to our story for today. Have you ever had an experience that you just couldn't stop thinking about? A memory you kept returning to years after it happened? Today's episode comes to us from a woman named Ava Ahmed Begi. She now lives in the Hudson Valley in New York, and she's surrounded by more outdoors than she ever saw growing up. But for years, she kept hanging on to an experience she had a long time ago. An experience that, she felt, held the key to whether or not she could have a place in the outdoors. I'll let Ava take it from here. And just so you know, there is some adult language in this episode. Connor, what's going on? Oh God, we drove on a snowmobile trail and the car is really quite badly stuck. The snowmobilers keep driving by and calling me an idiot and a moron. I think they might be right. Stay tuned. 
Before we start, I want to offer a disclaimer. I am no great athlete or adventurer. I have never in my life claimed to be outdoorsy, and my heart still races when I try new, simple things in the outdoors. This is not the story of a life-changing event that made me fall in love with nature. This is the story of trying to connect with the outdoors and my body, both equally foreign to me. And it's my journey as I try to come to a decision. Can I depend on my body? And if I can, can someone like me find belonging in the outdoors? What I consider to be my first true experience in the outdoors, like nature, trails, bears, and bugs outdoors, was in my junior year of college at NYU. I had saved enough money to afford a nasty little six-floor walk-up apartment with three other roommates. We had sky-high rent and rooftop parties and mice that ate our Cheetos. It was all very NYU. I, despite my best efforts, was not very NYU. I loved the education part. I could feel myself growing intellectually, but I was still so aware of where I had come from, how I had grown up. And even more, I was aware of just how different that might be from how my three white roommates had grown up. I was not, at this point in my life, self-assured by any means. I'm an Iranian immigrant, but at NYU, I found myself in a group of mostly white friends. I was trying, and I thought failing, to fit in. So one fall night in 2014, when the idea of a weekend trip to the Adirondacks came up, I was surprised to be invited. I was happy to be included for sure, but I was worried by the same token. Should I be included? Can I do whatever it is you do when you go camping? And was this a pity invite? In the end, I said, yes, please, and thank you, I will come to the Adirondacks. After all, how different could it be from the as-seen-on-TV camping getaways? Turns out, it was very different. Not in the least, because I had optimistically overlooked something pretty important. I had no idea how to be outdoors. And I would learn... I didn't trust my body to figure it out either. To understand just how unprepared I was for this trip, there's something you have to know about me. I was born in Iran and grew up mostly in Queens, New York. Immigrating is never easy, and our case wasn't any different. My mom and I shared an apartment with my uncle, my grandmother, and her live-in caregiver aide, while my mom and uncle worked as much as they could to make ends meet. I was taken care of and loved, and I never felt I was lacking anything. But I did feel alone. I spent a lot of time watching TV, doing homework on commercial breaks. I felt safe indoors, and I wanted to stay there. But as time went on, I got lost in the made-up stories of movies, and I started to have some, let's say, magical thinking. I had seen somewhere on TV that you can make a sort of vision board. Images of what you want most in your life. 
cut out and pasted on a display board. And if you just believe that these things can be yours, the universe will give them to you. Instead of making a board, in middle school, I cut out photos of body parts I wanted when I grew up, and I put them in an envelope in my underwear drawer. I had cutouts of a flat belly, perky full breasts, perfectly toned hairless thighs. You got the picture? And they were all unambiguously white. Fragmented body parts of a white woman from magazines. This is what I wanted. And when my body turned out to look different than what was in that envelope, I think I turned my back on it. I even remember saying to a friend in high school, my body is just there to carry my head around. It's sad to think about now, the way this relationship with my body grew. I understand it now as the anxiety of a child trying to fit in, to look the way I should look, using whatever tools were available to me. It was not a healthy relationship, but it's the one I had with my body. And to be honest, it worked fine. I was perfectly happy in my routine. After all, if you're a healthy young person, it's easy to pretend the body is an afterthought. But this made-up division between my mind and my body, it didn't hold up in my first big experience in the outdoors, and it didn't hold up in one of the most tumultuous years of my life either. The night that we arrived at the campground in the Adirondacks, it was cold and raining. My memory of most of the trip is vague, but there is one thing that I still remember that I haven't been able to let go of to this day. The day after we arrived, we went on a hike. It's safe to say I didn't know much about what I was getting myself into. I knew it was not a long hike, but that there was a view at the top, and I felt reassured by the attitude of my friends. Just a fun little hike, on a fun little weekend trip. Great, I can do this. Most of the way up was manageable, but as we approached the last stretch, the trail got steep, like really steep. The rocks dug into the arches of my feet and I wanted to get off them as fast as possible, but this was literally new terrain for me. I couldn't balance. Add to it that it had rained the night before, so the trail was extremely muddy. All the fallen leaves were slippery and wet, and they made it a terrifying feat to climb the last stretch up the mountain. I had to stop, gather myself, breathe, and hydrate a lot. Like, many, many times. And with each time, I could see my companions getting more impatient, and I felt bad. I wanted so much to keep up to prove that I can do this, that no matter where I came from or how much experience I lacked in the outdoors, I can do a little mountain trail. So I kept pushing myself. But as much as I was used to pushing my mind, this is not the relationship I had with my body. I was suddenly painfully aware of my body and its demands. It seemed to be saying to me, oh, you pretend I don't exist for all your life and now you want me to step up? I needed to take my time, but my friends wanted to keep the momentum. And eventually, on one of my breaks, 
They left me behind. Yeah, you heard that right. They left me behind. In a way, I couldn't blame them. I was not prepared to do the hike the way that they wanted to do it. But at the same time, I was so afraid. I didn't trust my body to be able to do this, and now I didn't really trust my friends either. I was furious that they had left me, a person who'd never been hiking and didn't know the first thing about trail markers or safety in the outdoors, alone on a steep and slippery trail. I think it's this fury that kept me going up the mountain to the viewpoint and back down. But I think, in a way, this whole incident broke my heart. It solidified the fears I had that I was too different from these friends. My background was different, my upbringing was different, my body was bad and weak and different, and I should just leave the outdoors to the people who can appreciate it. It's this feeling that I hadn't been able to forget. And it's this feeling that made me decide, definitively, I am not outdoorsy and I will never do this again. Hey, it's Willow. We'll hear the rest of Ava's story in a moment. But first, when you're shopping for new adventure gear, what kinds of things do you look for? You probably want it to be durable and eco-friendly, and maybe you'd prefer it to be made here in the U.S. If any or all of those things are important to you, check out our sponsor, Frost River. Frost River makes bags, packs, totes, and other adventure gear to help get you out on your next adventure. Their gear is built to outlast you on the trail. They use solar energy and premium materials to handcraft each and every piece of gear they make. And they also repair packs to help get us away from a throwaway culture. Start seeking your adventure today at frostriver.com outthere. That's frostriver.com slash out there. And use the promo code out there for free shipping. And now, back to the story. It's been nearly seven years since that trip. In that time, I graduated from NYU, got a job at an international nonprofit in Manhattan, left that workplace because it had become toxic, and landed at StoryCorps. StoryCorps is a nonprofit that records conversations between two ordinary people and airs segments of those conversations on NPR. My job as a site manager of their mobile tour was to supervise a small staff as we moved the mobile recording studio from city to city each month, going all across the U.S. I felt the tour promised me a year of adventure away from everything that had caused me so much stress in New York. But my first few months on the job, I was more anxious than I've ever been in my life. I was in such a rush to get out of a bad situation that I didn't stop to consider that my unprocessed feelings might catch up with me in the loneliness of a year-long tour, or that the newness of everything and the lack of community would seriously affect my mental health. As these things started to take a toll, I started holding so much tension in my body that over the course of two months, I went from having hip cramps that made it hard to walk without a limp 
to feeling like my hips and sides were being squeezed so hard my organs were going to burst out through my abdomen. It was the kind of pain that was subtle enough to ignore. Until it wasn't. The anxiety caused tension, which caused actual pain, and the pain caused more anxiety and it just went round and round. I had to change my relationship with my body. I didn't have much of a choice. Those fragmented parts in an envelope, the way I had learned to think about my body, they were no use to me anymore. For the first time in my life, I was willing, or forced, to acknowledge that my mind and body are connected. I started with a little stretching every morning, a practice that was completely about comforting my body, not getting fit or looking good, I was working on accepting that my body was more than a vehicle for my head, that it had real needs and value, that actually it was and it is strong. And as I got better at this, the world around me transformed a little bit. I found a feeling of home in my body and I felt safer. It was like taking off anxiety-tinted glasses and seeing the world around me as it was for the first time in a long time. And it just so happened that where I was, was the outdoors. It was not the kind of outdoors that I experienced on that first camping trip, but it was a stark contrast to the concrete structures of New York I had known most of my life. I sometimes have a hard time articulating this connection between my relationship with my body and the outdoors. Because the truth is, it's only by coincidence that they're linked. See, I had started to feel a kinship with the outdoors. Because these were the spaces where I learned to get comfortable in my own skin. Like in Memphis, Tennessee, where I first went on a bike ride with my boyfriend Connor. And Yuma, Arizona, where we drive out into the desert and run around on sunny afternoons. And then those surreal last months in California, making our way above clouds to look over the ocean. But as much as I had started to feel comfortable in my body, and even in outdoor spaces, I felt unsure of whether or not other people who claimed the outdoors for themselves would accept me there. I know this might sound a little odd, like, so what if they don't accept me? But the kind of belonging and acceptance I worry about is not the kind you might feel at a party where you don't have any friends. Belonging for me is tinged with power. The ability for someone who claims that space to tell me not just that I don't fit in, but that I have to get out. This is an anxiety based in reality that I've negotiated since I was eight years old, first immigrating to this country. And I've learned to manage it in most situations, but the outdoors is still pretty new to me. And one of the reasons I felt unwelcome there is because I kept replaying that hike from college in my head. It was the first time I felt someone was communicating to me that I don't belong outdoors, whether they intended to or not. I wanted to finally face this memory head on. Why did my friends leave me behind? And did the trip actually reveal something essential about my belonging in the outdoors? 
So I reached out to Kevin, one of my friends who was on that trip, to see if they'd be willing to talk about what they remembered. And they said yes. It's so good. It honestly is so good to see you. Where are you? Are you in New York right now? I'm in New York. Where are you? I'm in Chicago right now. Kevin and I caught up a bit. We hadn't seen each other since we graduated from NYU, and it's been a long few years, packed full of life. But what I really wanted to talk with them about was that hike from college. I told Kevin about how hard it was for me to climb that little mountain in the Adirondacks, how slippery and steep it was, how I had to take break after break after break, how at some point the group stopped waiting for me. And I was left behind. Do you remember this? I really don't, but that's... I don't remember that. I remember when I got to the top, people were spread out and just like chilling, like enjoying the views. Um, And I remember I was so bitter. I'd be bitter too. (laughs) I was like, I can't believe you guys left me behind. (laughs) And I got up there and I was like, (laughs) not proud of it, but I was like, thanks, assholes. (laughs) (laughs) That's like a very, I don't remember any of this, but that would be exactly how I would react to if someone left me in the woods. I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? Kevin didn't even remember leaving me behind. I was at a loss. Like, how could they not remember? But as we talked, I started to understand why. Kevin said they were in their own head about a lot of things at the time. For one thing, their grandfather had recently passed away. And I was also like realizing that I needed to come out and I didn't really have a language for that yet. And I was like still trying to figure that out. That was just a really real time for me. It's funny for me to think about this now because I'm so fucking gay. But like the first two years of college, I wasn't, I wasn't out to anybody except like the first, I came out to two people my sophomore year. For the most of our early friendship, like I said, I was still living as like a straight person, you know, like which was a complicated thing for me I didn't like need people I couldn't have people knowing anything about me that I wasn't ready to know about myself I think that the way that I've learned to be in the world is just in response to like preemptively assuming that people are going to reject me if they like get to know me at all so I have to kind of be something that they either can't reject initially or you know anyway this is not what I expected from our call I thought that the hike we did was probably so normal for the rest of the group, and there was some collective but unspoken decision to leave me behind. But at least for Kevin, they were just as caught up in themselves and their anxieties as I was. In different ways, we were both trying to fit in, and at the same time, come to an acceptance for who we each were. I don't know what that trip looked like from our other friends' perspectives, But if I could be so wrong about Kevin's motivation that day, then couldn't I be wrong about this other assumption I'd made? This assumption that I couldn't find belonging in the outdoors? Talking to Kevin really made me want to go back to that trail. Maybe it would spark some new memories, or be some sort of a healing experience. Maybe by the end, I could feel confident that not only can I be outdoorsy, but others will accept me in this space too. So my boyfriend Connor and I decided to make the four-hour trip to the Adirondacks. It was February, 
We had had a couple of big snowstorms and we knew the trail wasn't safe to do in its entirety. But I really wanted to be back there again, even if we just went out to the first easy part of the trail with our snowshoes. But we never even made it to the trailhead. With just a few miles left, the road we were driving on changed. It was packed with snow. not concerned about the driving portion of this trip. Well, I just, I remember. Oh my God, there are people behind me. Oh my God, they're on snowmobiles. That's funny, we just passed a sign that said no snowmobiles. They should be able to go past, but it kind of looks like he wants to talk to us. Roll down your window. Hey. This is a snowmobile trail. Really? Yes. Oh, Oh, we didn't realize. We gotta turn back around. Snowmobile trail, back where says turn around. That's the end of the road. All right. Thanks. Go on ahead. Here, let's just let them go past. Yeah. Swear that sign said no snowmobiles. But maybe it said snowmobiles only. We kept going for another few minutes, trying to find a place to safely turn around. But just as we found our spot, another group of snowmobilers came up behind us. So we pulled to the side just a hair to let them pass and... Yeah, we got stuck. We dug with whatever tools we had. Our snowshoeing poles, snowshoes themselves, our little windshield scraper. Snowmobilers would go by and immediately start yelling at us. Cursing with real venom. No one offered to help. We did eventually get out. We got to a trailhead and set out on our snowshoes. It wasn't the same trail that Kevin and our friends had gone on in college, but this one was beautiful, a complete winter wonderland. The sky was clear and light, and there was snow on even the thinnest tree branches, and a few other people we saw with their snowshoes were super pleasant. It was a complete 180 from our morning, and I'm glad we went out there. But I can't say that I got the healing experience I thought I wanted. Still, on the drive home, our spirits were high. I feel like it was a success. I think it was a huge success. Really? We had ourselves a full day of adventure, together, and that was worth it for us. But the more I thought about our long day, the digging and snowshoeing that would leave us sore for days, and the snowmobilers zooming by and throwing curses our way, the more I thought how strange this was. How strange that both times I had been in this area, This area that is so removed from our world and the stresses of daily life, tensions were actually running really high. And I feel like my assumption has always been like, okay, well, if if the people are removed from the world as well, like they're going to just be nicer. You think if the people are removed from the world, the world is removed from the people? Exactly. I had a thought in some crevice of my mind that the outdoors was different. I thought my experience in college was an anomaly, that really, the outdoors is supposed to be a place where people leave the other stuff behind, the stuff that makes them mean or impatient. But the outdoors is just like anywhere else, with welcoming people and people who think everyone should look and act like them and people everywhere in between. That realization is somehow liberating for me. And honestly, I think running into all those snowmobilers is what I needed. 
If I had had the healing experience I was looking for, it would have helped me pretend I'm accepted unconditionally. But I know I'm not. I've been worried all my life about belonging, and I don't expect I'll ever really stop. But I've learned how to claim space for myself in the world, and how to continually accept myself, my mind and body all the same, just as I am and without permission from anyone else. And this realization that the outdoors is like everything else, it means I can claim space here too, on my own terms. That was Ava Ahmed Begi. Ava is a freelance audio producer based in New York's Hudson Valley. You can see more of her work at avaahmedbegi.com, and I have a link to that on our website as well. up next time on Out There, Becky Jensen was out on a backpacking trip when a wildfire started near her house in Colorado. She came home to an evacuation order. One minute I was giving myself the classic pep talk that it's just a house, just stuff, and things can be replaced. What matters is we're safe. The next minute, I couldn't stop crying. How do you cope when you're displaced by a natural disaster, when every day you watch the news wondering whether you've lost everything? How do you make peace with a complete loss of control? Tune in for that story on September 9th. A big thank you to Phil Tim, Doug Frick, Tara Jocelyn, and Deb and Vince Garcia for their financial contributions to Out There. If you're not already supporting the show financially, take a moment to think about what Out There means to you. Does it brighten your day at all? Does it inspire you? Does it help you navigate the challenges in your life? If you answered yes to any of these questions, consider becoming a patron. Patrons are listeners who make monthly contributions to help us pay for creating the stories on this show. The contributions don't have to be large, although of course we're very grateful for larger gifts. If you have the means to contribute even $2 a month, you will be doing your part to support quality independent storytelling and help keep this show up and running. Just go to patreon.com slash outtherepodcast to become a patron today. I have a link to that in the show notes, too. If you're new to Out There, check out the Best of Out There playlist. This is a collection of some of our favorite episodes of all time, and it's a great introduction to the range of stories we do on the show. You can find Best of Out There on Spotify and at our website, outtherepodcast.com. That's it for this episode. Our advertising manager is Jessica Taylor. Our audience growth director is Sheba Joseph. Kara Schaefer is our print content coordinator. Our interns are Malat Amha and Tanya Chavla. 
Our ambassadors are Tiffany Duong, Ashley White, and Stacia Bennett. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. We'll see you in two weeks.